Welcome to the Sliders and Curveballs podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm here with my son, Joseph. Together, we are learning sports one game at a time. A big shout out to Mike and Joseph. This is Chris Berman from ESPN, and I tell you something, sliders and curveballs could go all the way. Take it from me, the Swami. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Sliders and Curveballs podcast. We're honored to host today's guest. His voice is synonymous with UConn women's basketball and play-by-play for UConn hockey, and he always brings us great football talk. And in his spare time, we're excited to learn that he's a baseball umpire. Please welcome one of our favorite voices in sports, Mr. Bob Joyce. Hi, guys. Thank you so, so much for being with us. Here's the question. Who throws the sliders? Who throws the curveballs? You I shouldn't throw be throwing both. either. I throw both. <laughs> You're too young to be doing that. I know, Joe. What do you what pitches do you throw? Change up, two seam, four seam. Good. Okay. Yeah, no sliders and curveballs just yet for an eleven year old. Correct. Spot your curve spot your fastball. Change speeds, you're good. Curveball can literally like damage your arm as a kid. That's right. I work with Rob Dibble. He tells me that all the time. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, too too young for that. So they throw the four seam. They throw the two seam. He had a battle yesterday. My friend, my friend, he's one year younger than me. He throws um like all the pitches. Mm-hmm. Too young. It puts uh, too much strain there. He's still a good pitcher. He's good. Well, thank you so much for visiting the studio. What do you think of Joseph's playground here? Quite the playground. I didn't have a room like this growing up. <laughs> Although I pretended to many times. That's how I got in this crazy business. Exactly. Pretending with a microphone or if you have to, a uh, a broomstick or a uh, wooden spoon, whatever it may be. Video games, board games, outside, didn't matter. That's how I got in this crazy business. I love it. Yep. All right, Joseph, you want to start us off with our first question? Yep. Hi, Bob. I'd love to know how you got started in broadcasting and ended up being an important piece of UConn sports. Well, that's a big, long story because, as I said at the beginning, I was, well, a little younger than you. Getting caught up watching uh, NBC's Game of the Week with Kurt Gowdy. And Kurt, at the time, did everything for NBC. He was the lead voice for baseball, was the lead voice for the NFL, did the Rose Bowl, did the NCAA tournament when when NBC had that. So he was a regular fixture in my life. Would go outside, play games with my friends, call the games as we were playing in the backyard. Board games, video games, you name it, I did it. And I went to college after graduating from Bloomfield High School in 1983. Went to Eastern Connecticut State University for one semester as a phys ed major, and I told my dad, this is not for me. And I didn't want to waste my parents' money. WDRC had a broadcast school right in Bloomfield growing up. So I went there, learned all the tricks of the trade, and uh, started there. My first gig was actually doing Bloomfield High School basketball. 
in the 1980s on cable access television. And one thing led to another. There was a place in Enfield called Continental Cable, which served seven towns. They did a high school game a week. Various times of the year, it was football and soccer and field hockey and volleyball in the fall, basketball and hockey in the winter, baseball, softball in the spring. So you would learn all the various aspects of a broadcast. Um, Works at WRCH as a part-time board up. In the mid-80s, their engineer, Tom Ray, was also the engineer of the Whalers. And he asked me, late 80s, if I wanted to be the producer for the network. So we're talking 87. So, yeah, that's kind of how everything came about. And then working with the Whalers, I got my foot in the door at WTIC. And did a lot, you know, between the Whalers, the morning show at TIC, working with the late, great Arnold Dean for a long, long time. And... Got involved with the UConn Network when uh, they got the rights for that. And one thing led to another, and here we are 35 years later in my broadcast business. Look at that. So it's been a while. I I started young, and I'm very fortunate. Worked really hard, had a lot of great people to work with and uh, get feedback from, and here we are. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's great. Uh, you used to call board games. Now, what what board games come to mind? You're doing play by play with uh, the game Sorry or Monopoly. No, no sports games. Um, talking Sp- talking Monday Night Football. You remember the little game? Uh, it had a little red box and you had little discs like they look like records. Okay. And on the back, it would be def- defense on one side and offense on the other, and it would go through the play. But then you would do play by play afterwards, or electric football, or just plain old. Uh, baseball board games. Um, wow, it's been a while. I can't even remember what kind of board games it was. But yeah, they're all sports in- influenced board games that I would do stuff with. Yeah, we'll and have to you invite just... you to do a, a Newington game for when uh, Joseph's in the championship game this year. Theater yeah. of the mind. That's what it was. So yeah, and you know there was a lot of summers. The radio would be on WTIC, listening to the Red Sox. So Ned Martin and Jim Woods were a big part of my life growing up as a kid. And I would emulate them and just kind of go through the motions and yeah. That's fantastic. We're so excited to have you with us. So Joseph and I love storytelling and using your our imagination. Radio announcers paint an incredible picture mm-hmm. of the game versus the TV experience. Would you share how you prepare for multiple sports, the speed of a game and, and some play calls? Wow. Well, I usually don't try to do, I mean, unless I'm at the game, it's kind of hard for me to do that. So preparation is different for each sport. Um, for basketball, and I wish I, geez, I should have brought some sheets with me and at least show you what I what I go through, but I still draw up my own sheets. I like writing things down. Ruler, putting up the putting up the rosters, the score sheets. For UConn, I do it at the beginning of the year. Write everybody's name down, put the numbers in blue, all the little pertinent information, where they're from, what their height is, so that never changes. Um Statistics, I use the multicolored Bic Pen. Blue, red, green, black. Season stats are in blue. Free throws are in red. Three-pointers are in green. Um, I'll put career highs above their name in red. Points, rebounds, assists, turnovers, blocks, steals, minutes played. Um, Any other pertinent information like uh, hot stretches, like over the last five games they've done X, Y, and Z. If you've talked to them in an interview, you might might jot down a few other things in their box and keep track of the game that way. And we still have, and we have internet now. I mean, everything's computerized, stat monitors for you, so we have that. Um, but that usually takes about three hours between the two teams. 
that I do. And I go through their game notes. The uh, sports information directors send us game notes for each game. UConn, I mean, I know their game notes pretty well. So the notes they have generally are the same for every game unless, you know, they update certain things. But that's pretty much I have that. But the other team, you know, pronunciations, all the inf- background information, you do stuff searches online too for all, for all that. Hockey is a, just a big legal pad for me. Um, the two rosters up straight up and down on each one on each side. Same thing. I'll do one at the beginning of the year, master with all the UConn names on it, numbers in blue, and then the other side's blank. And then whoever we play, like say if it's BU, I'll put their numbers down in red. Goals, assists, just some stuff, little nuggets, and then what they do on the power play, penalty kill on the bottom. And football, I don't really have to do a lot of prep because most of my prep is the pregame, and that builds itself as the week goes on with interviews that we get um, at the end of the week. I mean, I'll put some stuff down, obviously, for the interviews that I do. Um, I'm responsible for interviewing the opposing coach or radio personality, um, the writers, you know, whether it's live or taped. What other interviews do I do during the pregame show? Um, I do an athletics update just just to keep everybody up to date on what's going on with the fall sports. Or if it's later, like November, the start of the basketball season or hockey season, I'll mention that. <clears throat> Um, this state and UConn football history, I've already done those for every game this coming season. You're already done. <laughs> I've already researched them, printed out, and, and voiced them already. I just have to send them out to uh, our flat, to our uh, company, Learfield, down in North Carolina, where all the broadcasts actually go through to get to the stations. So it goes from our game site to North Carolina, up on a satellite, and feeds all the radio stations who are affiliated on the network. How cool. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, but every sport's different. Um, you know, football is just kind of a slow buildup till you get to the to the weekend. Excuse me, I'm fighting allergies here. And, um, yeah, so everything's different. But I've been doing that football pregame show for a long, long time. And by the time we get to Friday and all the elements are in, I basically script the entire day, at least the 90 minutes that we're doing on the pregame show, to keep everything on time. And I'll put an email together, send it to Mike, send it to Adam, send it to Wayne, send it to Chris, our engineer. Hey, this runs at this time. You need to be here at this time, and that sort of thing. And for the most part, runs pretty smooth. But every sport's different. If I was doing a football game, it would take a good couple of two, three days to do it because you're filling out big charts, spotting charts, all the you know statistical information, and then little nuggets that you may get from um, an opposing coach or... Um, if you're watching an interview from a press conference, maybe involving a certain player, you use that sort of, you know, use that stuff. Um, you know, if I'm doing a game, I hope to maybe record a game from the week before just to kind of get an idea of names and numbers, putting them all together. So it all works out. But uh, yeah, every sport's different, but the preparation essentially is the same. But Excellent. that's the biggest part of your broadcast. And if you use 30% of the stuff that you prepare for in a broadcast, that's a good day. You don't force feed it in there. So, and you let the play, and depending on the sport, you let the play-by-play and what's going on in the game kind of dictate on how much game prep you actually use in your broadcast. Great advice. Joseph, you want to, uh, let's go with a slider. <coughs> when my dad was my age in middle school, they had career day. He signed up for Chuck Caton of the Hartford Whalers. Chuck often called games alone and worked hard on pronunciations. You got it. Pronunciations of tough hockey names. 
What advice can you give me give to future announcers like myself? Master the English English. Yeah. Let's try that again because I'm master having issues mastering it. Master the English language. Read a lot of books. Listen to a lot of sportscasters, but read a lot. Learn new vocabulary. Use very different words. Yeah, I don't know. Chuck and Mike Emmerich or Doc Emmerich. Same thing. Two fantastic hockey announcers, but the the verbiage that they use, the words that they use, they find different ag- adjectives to describe things that are going on the ice. And you would say, "Wow, that's an interesting way of describing X, Y, and Z." Um, a puck spindling. What kind? Of, what, what does a puck do on the ice? It can bounce. It can be shot around the boards. They Chuck Chuck has mentioned slingshot around the boards. Um, you know, flip high in the air. He thinks of it as a nine iron. If there's a battle or a scrum in the corners, they'll pitchfork it like it. Like if you're in the uh, working on the farm and you're pitchforking for uh, hay. Kind of that sort of thing. So, yeah, they come up with different adjectives. But, yes, master the English English language as best as you can. That's my best piece of advice for you. I just watched, as a matter of fact, and I recorded this, a show that ESPN and the SEC Network did on all the radio voices, the classic radio voices of college football back in the day when radio was king. And so these are guys like John Ward at Tennessee, um, Eli Gold, which to this day is still the voice of Alabama football. Um, who else did they get? Uh, the various Auburn guys. Tragically, one of the voices, Rob Bramblett, just died a few years ago. He and his wife in a tragic car accident. Um, but yeah, but the main story was master the English English language and just read as much as you can. That would be number one to get things started. And then let your passion go through but work at it. It's not it's not easy. It's not easy in this business. It's a very competitive business these days, but uh that would be something to start. Read a lot. Cuz you want to be able to master all those words, pronunciation. Um so one of the things that I remember when I was sitting in class was Chuck came in and he told everybody take out a pad and a piece of paper and he says hockey's my my main gig. Mm-hmm. And so you you shoot and you score a goal. Right. But I want you each to write down 10 ways to say that that happened, but don't use the word shoot or goal. So we were like, wow, that's that, you know, be a little creative. You know what I mean? So we're calling the puck the biscuit and we're calling it, you know, all these different terms. Right. The brick, some of them were good, some of them weren't. And um, so he, he kind of rated us, but he just went ahead and just like you said, Bob, the adjectives to describe something, to paint that picture in your mind, doesn't have to just be always that straightforward puck and goal, puck and goal, that sort of thing. Right. I mean, there's various ways to call shooting the puck. Um, you know, wines, fires, uh, big drive. That's my favorite Doc Emmerich of all time. Big drive. Like when he winds and fires for that big one-time slap shot. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's all. I mean, Chuck... Chuck is amazing. I had I had the fortune of working with him for 10 years, and certainly I caught the bug from him. Really, that got me going from a hockey standpoint. And he taught me a lot, and there's various ways of referring to a save. Um, my favorite one for Caton is Game 7, 86 against Montreal. Mike Liut made an incredible glove save, and the way he cradled it, and he brought in a comparison to cradling the puck like cradling a little baby. Like you, like if you have a newborn, like if Joseph's here's a newborn and and Dad's carrying him around like a you know very 
gingerly, very carefully, and that's the way he described one save that time for Mike Leute in an incredible game. But yes, uh, it, it's it's amazing how these NHL guys use various terms to call a very simple play to keep it keep it from being boring. Yes, I, I love hockey. I love the pace up and down. That's my favorite sport to cover. Even though I'm oh, the okay. voice of UConn women's basketball, hockey far and away is my favorite to call. I was curious which one would be best, and I'm a huge NBA fan, so even listening to the Eastern and the Western Conference, you have two different personalities in Breen and, and Kevin Harlan, mm-hmm. and uh, the way that they do things um, is, is, is quite different as well, and I have an, a good appreciation for both. Kevin has a lot of energy, that's for sure. And Kevin, obviously, and Mike, for that matter, they do both radio and TV. And people think, you know, that's an easy transition, but it's not. There are, you know, certain people that have the talent to do both radio and TV. I think of Kevin Harlan, Breen. I don't know how much Breen does radio anymore, but he used to with the Knicks back in the day. But now he's the TV voice of the Knicks, and of course... All his work on ESPN. But I think of Sean McDonough. I think of Mike Tirico. I think of Kevin Harlan. Kevin Kugler is an up-and-coming guy. He's done a lot of radio. He's been the voice of the Final Four on Westwood One for, I think, 10 years now. But now he's an up-and-coming guy that you hear on Fox Mm -hmm. doing college football in the NFL. Um, He's done basketball. He's done a lot of UConn games on FS1 and the the Fox Network. Um, who else? Am we're I big Celtics of? fans, so yeah. we're fans of Mike Gorman. Yep, Gorman. Gorman's great. I mean, I remember Gorman in the days he was doing the Big East with Bill Raftery back mm-hmm. in the early days. Saturday night was much must-watch TV with those two. But yeah, there are so many guys in our business. Uh, Bob Wachusen is a great example. Bob has been doing the NHL um, on ESPN, but he's an outstanding college football announcer. Um, he does play-by-play on radio for the Jets. So you see these guys, and that's a special talent. If you're able to master both and do them well, you're doing all right for yourself. Absolutely. Now, the UConn women have won 11 national championships. Aside from some awful injuries and buzzer beaters that could uh, have changed things three or four titles either way, (laughs) um, how can one school dominate for so long? Well, they got lucky because the, the talent pool wasn't nearly as good as it is now. There's a lot of parity in the women's game. You haven't seen anybody repeat as national champion since UConn won four in a row. So they got, I mean, they were the UCLA of women's basketball because UCLA was dominant back in the same general time frame, like 30 years where college basketball was really good and, and really getting going before the field expanded. And UConn was kind of in that same category. There were very few dominant teams. There was Stanford, there was Notre Dame, there was UConn. Baylor was good, but South Carolina was up and coming, but UConn was the dominant team. And obviously you get great players. I mean, my first year was 2002. Sue Bird, Dana Tarazi, Swing Cash, Asa Jones, Tamik Williams. Best starting five Geno's ever had. That's his, his best team. I mean, I've seen three once-in-a-lifetime players. Diana, Maya Moore, Stewie. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Right? And, and, you know, the... You know, the two constants are Gino and, and Chris Daly. And their attention to detail is still there. Yeah, they may not win championships now, but they still get to Final Fours. I mean, it's incredible they've been to 14 straight Final Fours until this year. I mean, that's insane. I didn't know what to do with, my, with myself Final Four weekend this year. I was by myself. My wife was in North Carolina visiting <laughs> our grandson, and it's like, what do you actually do? I guess all I did was watch basketball all weekend. Look at that. 
It's crazy. But, yeah, I mean, they've been fortunate. It's a great program, still is. And I'll be interested to see what happens this year. Stay healthy, though. That's the whole thing. They've gone through two years of just craziness of injuries. And you don't know who's going to be on available each night. And, you know, we've seen Paige Beckers and AZ Fudd play a total of 15 games together in two years. It's unbelievable. It's hard it to is. believe. It really is. Who's your favorite player, Joseph? Who's your favorite women's player? AZ Fudd. AZ? You shoot like AZ? Do you play mm-hmm. basketball? Yeah. Do you play multiple sports? Yes. For Even if it's just for fun with your friends? I play multiple sports. Good. That's important. That's big. I can tell you this. Gino appreciates that. Jim Penders, the baseball coach, appreciates that. I'm sure Dan Hurley Hurley does as well. But Gino, especially from the women's basketball standpoint, there are plays, like if you're trying to make a long pass down the court, like an inbound play, like throw it like a baseball. Like Andre Jackson. Yeah. How many many girls can do that? Gino has certain players that have never done that before. Because they don't play multiple sports. Right. Imagine if they played softball too, though, Joe. Then yeah. they would have that ability to do a lot of other different things. Yeah. So he plays travel basketball and he plays baseball. And I really do think that the two sports do help him with his lateral quickness, sure. his hand-eye coordination, etc. You know, you can just go around, goof around in the backyard with, with a soccer ball and learn footwork and agility, that sort of thing. Yeah. Go out and play football. Yeah, I do I mean, that if you play out in the backyard friends. football... You know, you're going out for a long pass. That's kind of like the equivalent of being an outfielder, and you're going around chasing a long fly exactly. ball. Same Don't type they of teach thing. you that in baseball? What it's did you guys warm up with? coordination. Yeah, you yep. watching here. Exactly. <clears throat> My favorite boxers took some form of dancing mm-hmm. because they're great, light on their feet, and and they know exactly which way to move. Lynn Swan, the great wide receiver, took ballet. Absolutely, played perfect. at USC and played for the Steelers. Yep. And you can tell that in the way he moved. Absolutely. Yep. In all of your years of working with Coach Oriyama, do you have a favorite story that you can share with us? Wow, I got to think about this for a little bit. Because, um, you know, I was driving over and I was wondering if I was going to get asked this question. I'm thinking, wow. Um, I don't know if it's so much a Geno story. It is partly a Geno story, but it's also a Muffet McGraw story. I was at the 2013 Final Four and we were playing Notre Dame in the national semifinals. Three games they played during the regular season and the Big East tournament, they were all nutty games. UConn could say they've lost all three, found a way to lose all three. Notre Dame can say, well, we found a way to win all three. So we get to the Final Four. This is Skylar Diggins' senior year. So this is her last Final Four. Normally I get Coach McGraw. We had a good working relationship because I kept it to basketball. Highlight players, who's playing well at this time, what are your keys against UConn, that sort of thing. So I go in the back to get Coach McGraw. And the team comes in. And Skyler is not in a good mood. She doesn't want to do interviews. ESPN wanted to interview her. She wanted no part of it. And it turned into a little bit of a drama. And I'm like, okay. So I'm getting ready to interview Coach McGraw. They go in the locker room. And about the time I'm getting ready to get Coach McGraw, Pat McKenna, who was the women's basketball SID at the time, says, hey, Gino's ready to go. It's like, okay, what do we do? All right, so I guess I'm getting Gino. And Gino and Ward Manuel were down there. And Gino was in a good mood, though. Gino was very confident that they were going to beat Notre Dame this time. They had lost three times, and he was very confident that they were going to win a fourth time because he really worked hard on helping these kids get to this point. He promised Kelly Ferris he was going to do whatever he could to help them win a national championship. 
And, of course, they got some help when Baylor lost in the Sweet 16 to Louisville when they made 16 three-pointers, mm. I think. So Gino's in a, in a very good mood here at this point, and he was confident they were going to win. And, of course, they had Brianna Stewart. She was a freshman. And <laughs> she didn't have a great second half of the regular season. She got off to a fantastic start, then dipped. She only played like seven minutes against Baylor in February. But then you could see her coming on as the season's going on. Big East tournament, getting better. NCAA tournament, things are happening. And got Gino, and he was just really, really in a confident mood. And they went out, and they played even for about 18 minutes of the first half. And then UConn scored 10 straight points, built a double-digit lead. And Notre Dame never had a had a chance in the second half. But just to see Gino in, in a very in a very jovial mood after that, after finding finding a way to finally beat Notre Dame, because Notre Dame had become the arch rival. I mean, think about this. 2010 they played three times, and in 11, 12, and 13, they played four times a year. Twice in the regular season, once in the Big East tournament, once in the final. <laughs> Always seemed to be that way. And it was just incredible drama. I, I keep telling ESPN they should do a 30-for-30 30 30 on that 10-year battle between UConn and Notre Dame, just like they did with Ohio State and Michigan. Or HBO did that years ago with, with Michigan and Ohio State when Bo and uh, Woody Hayes were the coaches. Same kind of drama. But, you know, there's no favorite one for me. Gino is just a very—you got to get to know Gino. Some people outside of Connecticut think of him as a wiseacring Italian from Philadelphia. Of course he is. And he's not afraid to speak his mind. But when you get to know him, he's a very generous man. Um, he's a very caring man, um, and he works his tail off. He's earned everything he's gotten and deserved it. You know, it hasn't just been you know, hey, I get great players, they go out and play. He coaches them up, and you see that at the next level. Yes, uh, Connecticut fans definitely do not take uh, for granted the fantastic success that Jim Calhoun and then Gino and now Hurley have had. They give you so many fantastic nice shirt, falls and way. winters. Yeah, my championship shirt. I'm rocking it right We've now. We've been very lucky. We've been very lucky. Think about what Jim and Gino did. I mean, I mean, I give Jim a lot of credit. He turned UConn men's basketball from a regional favorite good team to a national powerhouse. That's insane what he did. And he did it in the Big East when the Big East was the Big East. Gino came here and... Turn a team that nobody had ever heard of. He thought he'd be here for five years. And look what he's done 30 years later. 36, 37. Man, he's been here a long time. <laughs> Just incredible. You know, to piggyback on that for a second, Bob, um, and this might be interesting to you as well, Joe, how has another school from the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, not seen, um, you know, Gino wins two, three, four titles. How, have, how has nobody ever lured him away? Um, I don't know if that's, uh, well... I think UConn has helped. I think Gino has been stubborn, and Kathy, his wife. Um, the one job that I think, and I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure this is true. I think Oklahoma tried to lure him to take the men's job down there once, and I'm trying to think when that was. It had to be early, mid 2000s, maybe. I think that's the case. I think it was Oklahoma. And I went to a talk with him at the Basketball Hall of Fame, and he always showed a little interest in the Philly job, which mm -hmm. is available now for the Sixers, <laughs> right? Because Doc just got let go, right, He'd Joseph? love to be an assistant in the NBA. He would love to be an assistant coach in the NBA. But it's just today. amazing that nobody backed up the Brinks truck and said, you know what, you're the Kentucky women's coach, or you're yeah. going to UCLA, or whatever it may be. 
Yeah, that's that's crazy to think. I'm sure he's gotten offers. I mean, publicly, I, I the only one that I can think of is the Oklahoma men's job, but I'm sure um, other schools have done it. But, you know, UConn has a great support of UConn women's basketball, and they have done everything they possibly can to make sure it stays at a very high level. And Gino loves it here. You know, and he's not too far from his family in Philly. Um but yeah, um, I do know this though, and I told and I mentioned this. I, he does aspire someday, if the opportunity ever comes after maybe coaching here, is being an assistant in the Interesting. NBA. Interesting. Not a head coach, just a, just an assistant. I'm sure he would do very well. Very driven, Joseph. Why don't you fire off another one for Bob? UConn has a brand new on-campus hockey arena. Yeah, they do, and it's coming off an exciting football season. How good do you think these teams can be in the future? Well, it's great that football at least is back to respectability. Um, nobody knew what to expect out of Jim Moore's first year. But, boy, he, he did a fantastic job. He and his coaching staff and those kids worked so hard for him after so many issues. Yes, Randy's second stint here did not go well. Totally get that. But let's not forget what Randy did the first time he was here. Yes, he left. The way he left was not good either. But he put UConn football on the map from 2002 to 2010. All right. What Jim did is take a bunch of guys, and the transfer portal obviously played, played a big role in it. Um, but he also had a lot of good pieces here that turned out to be key, key parts of this team. I mean, the offensive line, with the exception of his center, who transferred from Dartmouth, turned out to be the strength of the team. They ran the ball exceptionally well. And their defense wasn't half bad. Now, you know, when they got to the bowl game, they said, well, you know, we easily could be 8-4, and 9-3 and three at this point. Well, yeah, they stole a few wins like Liberty and, and Fresno State, but there are a couple of games they easily could have won that they didn't. Like, they should have beaten Ball State, and they probably should have beaten Army. So 6-6 six and six is about right. I thought if they could win three or four games and be competitive, I think people would have been great with that for the first year. So to get six wins and get to a bowl game in the first year was incredible. Now how do they build off of that? Well, the offensive line is intact with the exception of a center, although I'm hearing they might move Christian Haynes to center for this football season, but that's a big strength. Victor Rosa and a few other running backs are back. The wide receiver core is good on offense. A good chunk of their defense is back from last year. Now they just got to get more depth. Um, the transfer portal has worked. For Coach Mora, um, the quarterback competition should be great this year, so that'll be fun to watch. And the schedule, we'll see. NC State right out of the gate, Duke later, um, and then a stretch on the road where they go to Tennessee. Good luck with that. Uh, BC, and then James Madison, which really had a good year in their first or second year at the big-time college football level. But, you know, I always say this realistically for football in New England at UConn. If they could win seven, eight, maybe nine games every year, I don't think people would say boo. They would be ecstatic for UConn football after what we've seen. But that's but Jim obviously is shooting much higher than that, and he should. And that's that should be the goal of all the coaches. But in Connecticut, in New England, seven to nine wins a year would be great. Now, hockey, I love hockey. We want to go see that new arena, right, Joe? Cavs a good Cavs a great coach. And he's got good assistance, too. Tyler Helton's been with him for a while. And they keep getting great talent. I'm going to be interested to see where Matthew Wood gets drafted this year. 
He's not. He's coming back. He's not going anywhere. He's still got some growth and strength and conditioning to take care of. But this kid's a talent, and they've got a good group around them. Hudson Shandor's back. The arena. It's an intimate little place. It's noisy. It's fun. You're right on top of the action. It's a great little building, and uh, it's like a quarter of the size of the XL Center where you've seen the Wolfpack. Not even. No, it's it seats maybe about three thousand. Oh, even smaller. Yeah, it, it's very intimate. I mean, people hemmed and hawed about the the uh, capacity of the arena. I mean, I think it's twenty five hundred seats, and they can standing room another eight to thousand. Probably okay. do that. Um, yeah, it's an intimate little barn, but they're right on top of you, and it makes it for a very intimidating place to play. And if they're playing well, the crowd's into it. It's a lot of fun. The student-only game was a ton of fun when they played Alaska Anchorage. But, um, yeah, I mean, Cavs done a good good job. The Hockey East is tough. The Boston teams are always good. UMass Lowell is always good. So the fact that they've been able to get a home game in the quarterfinals, I think, the last three years now, that's a big step. That's a big step forward. And getting to the finals, obviously, two years ago was huge. But, um, you know, if they can finish in the top four every year, host a playoff game, and get to the, get to Boston every year, um, it's doable. And uh, Mike Cavanaugh has done an incredible job. Um, I can't wait till October. I mean, I enjoy my summer, but looking forward to October and a full season in stores. They'll play a few games in Hartford, but most of the games will be in stores, and it's become a tough ticket to get. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're, we'll be rooting for those teams for sure. Now, UConn and its fans have suffered through years of conference realignment. <laughs> you almost uh, shudder when I say that. I, I'm, I'm just going to wait to see what happens. I have no opinion either way. Okay, no opinion either way. Nope. What I was going to fast forward and say is there's a tug of war on media rights and paying the bills and building arenas. If you had a crystal ball, 15 years from now, Joseph will be 26 years old. What kind of a car will you be driving then, Joseph? <laughs> what do you think, 26 years old? Flying car. <laughs> are you, you, you going to go with something like in the Lamborghini category Porsche or a Porsche? Oh, really? Can I, can I get a loan from you, a no-interest loan? What are you going to be doing for a living at 26 if you're getting yourself a Porsche 911? An announcer and an NBA player. Uh, an announcer and an NBA player. Or. Or, Okay. Okay. Who's your favorite NBA player? Jason Tatum. Okay. All right. Look at my crystal ball 15 years from now. <laughs> wow, that's hard. Um, Announcer for ESPN for Get Up or Sports. I or... don't see UConn being in the Big East a whole lot longer. And I know there's such a battle going on between football and basketball fans. I get it. The reason why UConn came back to the Big East was to get their identity back because of basketball, particularly men's basketball. I totally get that. But given this day and age where TV money, particularly from football, drives the college football bus and UConn plays football, it's going to be hard to keep UConn in the Big East and this independent thing going. Um, I, I just see it inevitably ending up somewhere. I don't know if the Big 12 is a great fit unless some teams, unless the ACC suddenly falls apart and the Big 12 is sucking some of those teams and they make them in two divisions. Because I saw what it did to the American. Yeah, the American was okay, but you know people have to understand this. Money does not solve everything. You have to care about the student athlete too. Now, now yes, I know we go to Omaha, Nebraska once or twice a year. All the teams do for various sports. I get that. But generally, the Big East 
is either the upper Midwest, you're inside a two-hour plane ride to wherever you go. And especially if you go to Georgetown and Villanova, you're flying one hour down. Or dri- if you're driving, it's three hours. It's a regional thing. I get that. But you are also got to think about the student-athlete. You know, because there are days in the American, we would be going to Tulsa. We'd be going to Houston and SMU and Tulane. Those are like two, three-hour plane rides. Right. And kids aren't getting home till landing at Bradley till like two in the morning and then a bus ride back to stores, and they're expected to be in class the next day. Oh, my gosh. That's a grind. I know. That is a grind. So it's not just basketball. It's academics. And I don't know what the answer is, but there's got to be a happy medium. And UConn's got to think really hard about this. And it's college sports, too. It's it's a business. I get that. But, I mean, USC and UCLA and the Big Ten, does that make any sense? It just doesn't. No, it's all about the money. They're going to be flying from L.A. to the Midwest. Well, that's at least, well, at least, at least going out. It's shorter because of the jet stream. But you're still flying three hours back, at least, to get to Los Angeles. And I think we've lost sight of that. That all these regional rivalries that used to be great, well, they're gone because of the almighty dollar. And it's too bad. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm maybe I'm naive to that. But, you know, the travel budgets will get sucked up a lot. Rutgers is in the Big Ten. They're bleeding money. So I, I'm not sure what the answer is. But I I hope whatever conference UConn is in, is in, even five years down the road, at least you hope there is some regional interest in wherever they go. Yeah, the Big 12 would be great from a TV exposure standpoint and money, I guess, to a certain extent. But there's no rivalries. Yeah, David Benedict, our friend, has a tough job. and uh, Well, even with, the school, school president, too. Oh, of course. With yeah. you looking at this from many different angles and, and appreciating many different sports, I thought it would be an interesting look to, to, to kind of give a little bit of a prediction on where you think the possibility of the future may be. Joseph, why don't you fire off another one? I want to see Paige Beckers and AZ Fudd play a full, healthy season together. <laughs> Me too, buddy. <laughs> they deserve to. Yep. Break down each player's game. When they're at their best. Wow. Well, Paige is is a special, special player. She's got, well, her ball handling skills are outstanding. She can pass exceptionally well. I love it when she throws a long ball in transition. I refer to it as a touchdown pass every time. <laughs> and instead of saying lays it up in it, it's like catches it, shoots, touchdown. Because it resembles like a pass in, in football. But she's got a great, great sense, great court vision. She's got an outstanding shot. Her mid-range game is really good. She's got an outstanding pull-up jumper. But Gino also expects that of his kids. I mean, there's a lot of kids that have had great mid-range games. AZ's got an outstanding mid-range game. The one thing about Paige now, well, now that she's had two knee injuries to the same knee, different knee injuries, but the same knee, that was the biggest reason why they did not rush her back last year. They wanted to have her a full calendar year plus to make sure the knee is fully healed. The extension where she had that fluke injury against Notre Dame, that was kind of a fluke injury, but then the ACL. You know, she could have come back if, and I know she worked her tail off, if they really, really wanted her to, she could have played in the NCAA tournament. I think she was close to being ready. But they made a decision when she got hurt, the ACL, you're not playing at all this year. 
and they put that to bed. And there were times she missed it. I mean, you could tell certain big games that she really wanted to be out there but couldn't, and it hurt. But she is she's a special talent. And when she's on a roll, and, and, I, and fans, I think, are going to be excited to see. She worked really hard to come back just to get the knee healthy. But all the skills that she has are, are sensational to watch, fun to watch. And I can't wait to see her play. As far as AZ goes, AZ. Now that's Joe's. That's Joe's girl. He he watches her YouTube videos on how she shoots relentlessly, starting at the free throw line, coming forward, working mm-hmm. on all these different drills. We have to see these two together, Bob. Yeah, we've only seen them for fifteen games. You know, and then you know when we saw them together, a lot of they fun, particularly the NC State game in the uh, Elite Eight a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, the passing vision uh, of Paige, a compliment to replayer like AZ, um, who's a good defender. She could shoot the ball well. The one thing I will say about AZ, and, and even just the re- kids in general these days, you see all these workout videos. Well, that's great, but do you ever see them work out against five on five? One thing that Gino talked about when AZ came back this past season. She didn't come back. When she came back, he said it was going to take her a little time to get her offensive skills back because a lot of the things she did was one-on-one or two-on-two. It was never five-on-five. Well, in five-on-five, it's vastly different. You're fighting through screens. You're getting clutched and grabbed and beaten up, getting through the lane. You all know that. You all see the games. Um, And then you get open, and then you got to shoot the ball. It's not like where, you know, you're just going through a drill shooting like this or dribbling to spot A, spot B without anybody – you know, beating you up. Well, that's something that is he's got to get used to again. And I'd like to see her just to get through a season healthy. I mean, two years now, first the stress fracture in her foot and then the knee injury. Well, the knee injuries were a big factor last year. And yeah, um, but her defense is outstanding and she can shoot the ball. I mean, you know, we haven't really seen, with the exception of November from AZ Fudd, how good this this kid can be. I mean, she, her her shooting is her range is limitless. She's not Caitlin Clark range limitless, but I don't think Gina would ever let anybody shoot from <clears throat> three from <laughs> between the top of the key and mid court <laughs> on a regular basis like uh, like Caitlin does. But AZ, hey, she's as good a pure shooter as UConn's ever had. Is she the best? Not yet. Kalina Moschetelos to me is still the best, but um, the talent is limitless. And boy, knock on wood, Joseph, I'm with you. I'd love to see these two go for a whole year. Annalie Edwards. You know, it's funny. LSU has put together the super team through the transfer portal with Haley Van Lith and Anissa Morrow, and they're both outstanding players. Notice UConn has not done anything with the transfer portal. They've got four outstanding freshmen coming in, and they've got two kids that didn't even play last year in Paige and uh, Ice Brady, along with everybody else back. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Yeah. If they stay healthy, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Ice Brady. What a, what a great name. If Ice Brady's as good as Tom Brady is in the NFL, <laughs> then to... That's absolutely true. <sighs> now, we want to thank oh, Dave Borges for uh, uh, doing a recent article on us in, in the Connecticut Insider. Yeah, I saw that. And we were saying uh, some of our dream guests from a local perspective, we would love to have Paige and AZ come into the studio mm-hmm. and then we also are still working on um andrea hurley and uh Daniel. dan together we want to do a nice family <laughs> show with the four of us so oh, good luck yeah i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> so that's uh we we formally make those requests 
Now, here's one for you, Bob. The women's team has had dozens and dozens of all-time greats. Yep. I'd like to create an all-star team with you. That's going to be challenging. But I need one point guard, one shooting guard, one wing, one power forward, and one center. And then we need a backup for each of those players. So your 10 superstars from the perspective of a starting five and then their backups if they get winded or twist their ankle and have to go to the bench right, right. here on the Sliders and Curveballs podcast with Bob Joyce, the fantasy list. All right. Well, you got to have the three generational players, Diana, Maya, and Stewie in that starting five. Sue's the point guard. Tina Charles is probably your center. Okay, no arguments. No okay. Rebecca Lobo. She's on your... Oh, you're starting this, to pepper him with... This is the <laughs> toughest thing to figure out because of all the talents that they've had. Here's so the curveball. All right? <laughs> all right? Here's the slide. I mean, Svetlana Abrasimova is the first three-time All-American. I'm not even sure she's on the... I mean, she should be on the second team because she was that good. Wow, you're talking. So you're asking me to do ten players, top right. ten. So now we need to replace them if they're all tired. All right, let's see. You're probably wow. Carol probably kill me for this, but Steph is probably next at center to spell Tina. Okay, who's spelling Stewie? Well, her tenacity. I got to put Swin Cash in there. Swin, Tamika, and Asia were just tenacious. They didn't have a lot of size. They all averaged, I think, six to six two. But they just got after it. So so Swin's gotta be on that list. All right, so we have so we have Stewie and Swin. Um Wow. Shooting guard. Okay, I got a small forward here. Who's spelling small forward here? Let me think. These are tough. As Let Joseph is gobbling Let down some water think. here. Let me think. Let me think. He's trying to buy you some time. All right, point guard spot. Well okay. that's even the the backup point guard is tough. Do you put Paige in? Do you put Mariah Jefferson in? I mean, Mariah Jefferson was was super, super good her last three years. So will Bob, Rebecca Lobo is not yeah, in the top I don't think so. I mean, well, I love Rebecca. I love Rebecca. <laughs> but it's so, so hard. The top ten. Backup point guard. Okay, I'm going to put Mariah as my backup point okay. guard because I Done. love Mariah. We're penciling it. All right. And Renee will get after me for that, too, because I love Renee Montgomery. Renee might be my all-time favorite Husky to interview. Really? Yes. Renee and Maya Moore were probably my two, f- and Stephanie are my probably three favorite interview people People interview. That's great. Yeah. Um, who am I forgetting here? Yeah, shooting imagine, imagine shooting guard. Well, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis has to be on that list because she's the all- one. when she left, she was the all-time three-point leader in college. But people kind of... Here's the thing that I love about Kalina. She uh, she never had a game in the NCAA tournament where she didn't score at least 10 points a game, but she was a she was a very underrated rebounder as a two guard or the small forward position. She would give you 6 7 boards a game in the NCAA tournament in the Big East tournament. She was that good. She cuz she had a little bit size and girth on her. And she was able to muscle people out. Where do you put Where do you put Katie Lou Samuelson? Where do you put Nafisa Collier on that list? You don't put them because they won one national championship. Um, what position right. do we have left? Is it small a, forward? Small I think. Forward. Small forward. Wow, Katie Lou Samuelson. That was Joe's first crush when he first started watching basketball. <laughs> yeah, good, good job, good job. <laughs> um, wow, who would I put as the small forward? You know what? Just because Joey. 
I like you. I'm going to put Rebecca on that in that group. Thank you. There you All go. Right. We got to have her on the podcast with her husband. He's a great uh, storyteller. Imagine having to make a, a full UConn roster full of announcers. We got John Fanta starting small forward. <laughs> you big Fanta fan? Yeah. He's, he's an up-and-coming guy. He's, an he's, up-and-coming. A, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's yeah. so fun. Yeah, I love John. He, we really he, loved him on the He's pod. a good kid. He's getting married this summer. Um, yeah, I mean, he's become a rock star of the Big East. I mean, he really has. He's also good, even though he's not an announcer, but Connor. Oh, game day Connor. Yes, game day says hello to you, Bob, because we just went to the Yard Goats game this yeah. weekend. Joseph oh, nice. Brought him a couple of shirts. Nice. He's a da- he's a new dad. He's really fantastic. He has a little daughter. Yeah, he, he and his wife, his wife gave birth, I want to say February. Yeah, so he's a new dad. Yeah, he's a fun guy. And shout out to John Fanta. He did a fantastic preview of the Big East tournament with us a couple of years ago and very supportive of Joe's uh uh, hobby here with dad and uh, he was fantastic i remember when like my dad first said we're getting john fanta on the podcast i'm like who is that he shows me this video of him doing this the weather was in 2021 doing the weather and talking about mm-hmm. uconn yep. goes to some random people at msg on the street saying you watch uconn basketball if they say no he'd be like will you watch uconn basketball and then i remember this one guy Who's like? Of course, I watch UConn basketball. Nobody's better. And then, and then, then when he turns around to like end the show, he slips on ice. Yeah, <laughs> just it's, he's fantastic he's so though. Funny. He's got a great he's, voice, he's great passion. Yep. yep, big Browns fan. He's from Cle- from the Cleveland area, so he's a big Browns and Indians fan. But boy, he he knows his basketball. In fact, uh, he's doing baseball this week for uh, the Big East at the oh, Big nice. East baseball tournament. So yeah, he's out there with our guys. He's doing the Big East Digital Network. Um, he I did don't... bowling a couple weeks ago. I know. How about that? And I'm a bowler, a duck pin bowler. has a bowling team? Well, no, 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 but no, he no, just no. branched out, and so oh. he's covering everything. No, Fox has, has bowling, so he does it. Do you? I mean, you're old enough, obviously, to remember. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. You remember when ABC used to do bowling on Saturdays with Chris Schenkel, and they had the stop at Bradley Bowl every year? I remember. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big deal back then. And I was a duck pin bowler with, with T-Bowl on the Berlin Turnpike, but I bowled 10-pin. Ashley's Furniture Store. Yeah, Boo. They took over my favorite place in the world, other than the, the studio. Channel 40 used to do duck pin bowling years and years ago up in Springfield. My dad knows Amy. She's one of the greatest bowlers of all time. That's right. Nice. Amy Bisson. All right, Joseph, go ahead with another one. I play Little League Baseball. Yep. How did you get into umpiring, and what's your favorite part about baseball? Wow. Well, baseball is still my favorite sport. Um, I grew up. I mean, that's all we did. I mean, I loved playing baseball as a kid. Um, I played Little League, played Babe Ruth, played in high school. I, I'm thinking about dropping baseball during Babe Ruth. Yeah? I got one more. I got, so I'm playing in majors right now. So you're on the 60-foot diamond. The it's small a, diamond. And then I got one more. It's a big adjustment. Yeah, he's not sure. He's going to weigh I don't, it I don't out. Know. I want to do basketball or sports announcer. Okay. All right. Because I want to go pro. With well, look. I mean, baseball's always been my first love. And growing up, my son played baseball and soccer growing up. He played basketball. He played basketball through eighth grade. He played soccer through seventh grade. He was the goalie. He said, I'm done taking shots at my head all the time. Huh. And they're getting harder and harder. It's like, okay, all right, that's fine. And But the one sport he stuck with was baseball. But when we grew up, we live in Coventry, and he played Cal Ripken. And they played on a 50-70, and when he was 11 and 12, they played on the 50-70 field. So the the change to the big diamond certainly was a help. 
with that. But when he got done, I kind of caught the umpiring bug. Okay. And I started in right in town. And they would give me as many games as I wanted the first couple of years. But they also had an umpiring board. Um, it was called the Nutmeg Board. And they would fill the games I couldn't do. And they wanted me to get on board with that. And I said, well, I will do it, but I want to see my son play ball. My son played right through high school. So I was lucky enough to do that. But the, but after that, um, it went from Little League to doing middle school games, to doing JV games, to doing high school games. And let me think now. How many years have I been on the Middletown board now? Six, seven years? So we're doing games at Ram High School in Hebron, East Hampton, Portland, uh, Middletown, High, Xavier High, um, Berlin, Cromwell, Haddam Killingworth, Coggenshog down in Durham, Valley Regional, Hale Ray down in Moodis, and I think Old Saybrook. But I haven't been in Old Saybrook. So he doesn't hit Newington, but no. a lot of the but parents. But I have seen you... Newington. I have you seen. Have. Um, a couple of years ago, they scrimmaged um, Xavier. Okay. And just before the state tournament. And I was supposed to have a two man, but I one of my guys got sick, so I did the game myself. And it was just a scrimmage, though. And I made it very clear. Hey, look, it's if I miss a call at second or third on a stolen base, my apologies. But you hustle. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's fun. Um, you know, you, it, a lot of it and a lot of a lot of the umpiring is a lot like being a player or a coach. And I'll use the player um, comparison. You got to have confidence in making calls. And as you get old and as you get more experienced, you know the rules better. You have instances that you're going to – things you're going to see. Like, for instance, these are two calls that I had not seen before in a game that I've done, but I was broadcasting a UConn baseball game a couple of weeks ago. Well, you notice a lot of relievers, whether men are on base or not, they work out of the stretch. Mm-hmm. Well, the kid who was pitching for Butler was working out of the stretch, but he balked. He did something that he wasn't supposed to do. Well, if there's nobody on base, it's just deemed an illegal pitch, and it's a ball. So when ball three came, it was actually ball four, and the guy got a walk. Next inning, UConn had first and second, nobody out, and they were attempting a bunt to get him over. Well, there was a ball in the dirt. Batter pulled the bat back. The ball got lodged inside the chest protector of the catcher. The third base umpire saw that. If that gets ball gets lodged in the catcher's gear, it's a dead ball, and the runners advance a base. Hmm. How did it jump in there and get lodged? I don't know because usually those are pretty tight. Yeah, yeah, it was on his chest protector and somehow got. It must have been where the ball was kind of up on on his hip and maybe it hit his glove and it ball just got wedged in between his chest and and his chest protector. But the third base umpire who was in position C, what we call, which is between the bag and the pitcher's mound, right away made the gesture that the ball was in there and then it happened. And I had a pitcher. In a little league game, he was standing on the pitcher's rubber, and he went to his mouth. You know how the, how pitchers go the mouth, and then they wipe it off. Yeah. Well, if you're on the rubber, that's a balk. <laughs> but in the case of and and that's when you can call in little league because you're not supposed to go to your mouth on the pitching rubber. But in case nobody was on base, the count was already three and zero, so it became ball four, and the batter gets first base. What age was that? Uh, little league, your age, so majors. You can't lick your- well, you can lick your fingers, but you can't do it on the pitching rubber. If you're on, if you're towing the rubber and you go to your mouth, it's it's an illegal pitch or a balk. Oh, yeah, so if you're on the rubber, yeah, right. If you're like on the dirt, easy. Take lick your lick your fingers and wipe wipe it off on your pants. 
So Joe, Joe has pitched a little bit this year, so just keep I that in mind. One, yeah. So I struck out one batter and made a kid ground out. All right. Exactly. They but brought yeah, him in for a little I relief. Saved the game. But even I've made even even I've made some adjustments in umpiring this year. I mean, I used to go down very very early. When I'm behind the plate and I've done mostly plates this year, I'm waiting until the pitcher is basically got his leg up in the air, ready to throw the ball. I go into my crouch, and I've seen. I've had a much better zone this year because okay. my zone stunk last year. <laughs> I'll be the first to say. It. So just when you want to get into the crouch, really yeah. helps you be able to see the pitches and yeah. call them better. Yeah, because then you're not you're not you're you're not standing down in that locked position for a long time, and your mind's not wandering. Okay, or you're becoming like impatient and yes. things like that. Okay. Yes. Now, do a lot of the parents know this is Bob Joyce? <sighs> no. Okay. And I like to keep it that way. Okay. It's like, okay, they're not here to see Bob Joyce radio announcer umpire game. They're calling whoever the umpire is. That's for sure. I don't worry about that stuff. So you're a little undercover in a way. It's yeah. kind of an undercover I mean, people hobby. know me. I mean, some people do know me, so okay, and we talk about it. But, yeah, I don't make a big deal out of it. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, I don't even – I'm very, very reserved when it comes to my calls and stuff. I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to be authoritative or very, you know, confident like if it's – safe on a close play and you're yelling safe 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 you know, yeah you got to do that or if it's a close play and you, what we call a banger at first you got to be confident and loud about that but i don't go nuts behind the plate it's just a simple strike or if it's strike through i'll just step back and do a little pullback so that's, that's it nice. i, I like don't get into histrionics as an umpire no not one bit and i love you know what and i have more fun doing little league because i have fun with the catchers because you can work with them a little bit you can help them out a little bit Without getting them killed. It's like, hey, you know, the batter's up in the box. Move up a little bit. Help your pitcher out. Yeah. Or, you know, the first thing I say to him when the game starts, job one, keep me from getting hit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I love That's it. That's funny. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's fun. I love it. Um, I've got a great group in the Middletown board that I get to work with that, I've, that have helped me out significantly in the last six or seven years to be a better umpire. And we've got a good group. And the state tournament, the high school state tournament, begins on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, we'll be busy. Been busy the entire month of May between Little League and high school ball. So, uh, and, it, and it, you know, comes down a little bit. Little League playoffs start, all-star tournament start, Legion ball. But I keep my weekends open. I mean, when you're doing weekends from September to March and then you have high school baseball and Little League season, July and August, weekends are free. It's me and my wife. We do whatever, and then I go on vacation. That's great. Well, why don't we finish up the episode with some rapid-fire reaction with Joe, he'll pitch you his best sliders and curveballs. I see Bob glancing at your paper, but he'll mention a few names or some thoughts, and you just provide some insight that comes to your mind. Go ahead, Joseph. Ready for my best sliders and curveballs? Bring it. Robot umpires. It's coming. Maybe not at my level, but it's coming for the majors. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I don't envy what those guys do. They do a great job. They get 90% of the pitches right. You know, we're umpires and game officials are the only people in the game that, God forbid, they make a mistake. We're not robots. We're not perfect. We're not going to get every pitch right. We're not we're, the AI. Yeah, and these guys and these pitchers now, I mean, average fastball, I mean, mid-90s to 100, they're throwing breaking balls that are ridiculous to these hitters. And umpires for three, you know, two and a half, three hours, we're sitting there watching 300 pitches a game, and God forbid they miss one. But, yeah, it's coming. It's inevitable. The Big East Conference. Saved UConn's identity. It's not the same as the old days, that's for sure. 
and I'll be interested to see how much longer UConn's in it. But it has been good to their brand, and they have a nice partnership. But how long it will last, that's a good question. Diana Taurasi. <sighs> best player UConn's ever had. Oh. Maybe the best women's player. Of all time. Maybe. Cheryl Miller was pretty darn good. Back I agree. I love Diana. I mean, th- this past year, the best player was Aaliyah Boston or Kayla. Well, in college, yes. Or Kayla. But Diana Taurasi might be the best women's college basketball player of all time. Although Stewie has four and D has three. So, uh, yeah. You can't argue with Stewie having four, but Diana for me, number one. Yeah. Infield fly rule. Wow. In what way? What, just what I think of it? Yeah. Like, do you like it? Do you hate it? Is no, I never really <laughs> thought about it. I, I mean, it's it's it's, it's necessary. Let's put it that way. A lot it, of people in my league, like, when it's an infield fly rule, they got under it. And even though they dropped it, I'm on second with the runner on first. I have to go. So not he, necessarily. No, but, like, if he if he drops it, I have to go. Well, if the, infi- if, the, if, the infi- if the infield fly is in effect, mm-hmm. you do not have to run. Okay. And how do you make it known that it's in effect? Well, you either well, you ha- we yell it. Okay. But I also put my finger up in the air like this, point up in the sky and do this. But most of the time, at your le- like at your level, I would yell it. Infield fly batters out. Okay. But the infield fly um, prevents a lot of chaos, gotcha. particularly at your level. <laughs> Maya Moore. <sighs> probably the best athlete that UConn's ever had. When she got here, she had a great trainer in high school. This young lady had guns. She was, she had been in the built in the weight room. She was so athletic and she did so many things so well. And she was relentless. She's probably the most relentless player UConn's ever had. Yeah. Maya the Magnificent. Yep. I loved her. Coach yep. Jim Mora. And the best thing about Maya, she always put a lot of thought in her answers when you interviewed her. She was a good interview. And I'm very proud of what she's done today as a as a non-player. To, to, to retire, leave the game, and help get a guy out of jail is incredible. And then marry the guy and have a child. That's amazing. Coach Jim Mora. Different, um, but very effective. He's been great to us, you know, from the media and and on the radio crew. Um, yeah, I mean, guy came in, and but the great thing about Jim, he knew what he was getting himself into because he had done some games on ESPN with UConn. He had toured the facilities, and he saw the potential. Let's hope he hangs around for a few years and and gets a little more out of this football program. Rebecca Lobo. <sighs> She's the one that got it all started. Started this crazy thing called UConn Women's Basketball. She's no, the that's queen. not true. Carrie Bascom in that group, the first Final Four team in 91, that includes Megan Como, who does TV, yes. and my broadcast partner, Debbie Fisk. Um, they were on the first Final Four team. But Rebecca Lobo helped start take UConn to a whole nother level. And, you know, you talked about starting fives. You got to find a place on Mount Rushmore for Rebecca Lobo for UConn basketball because that was that team. She was the face of that team that went 35 and 0 and 
started this whole thing that, you know, whoever thought that 25 years later we'd be, you know, dealing with 11 national championships, 22 final fours, and yeah, it's crazy. But she was the trendsetter, and she could have run for governor and probably won if she if she wanted to when they won the national championship. 11 national championships and podcasting with an 11-year-old 25 <coughs> years later. She figured yeah. out how to beat Tennessee. Yep, yep. Well, I mean, they did right off the bat. Yeah. Twice. And that started the whole thing. That started the whole rivalry. Yep. Hall of Famer, our friend, Jim Calhoun. Probably the greatest job any coach has ever done with any program. Again, to take a New England power in basketball that was always good in the Yankee Conference, but take it to where they did from a national standpoint is incredible. And the players that he would get to come here and believe in what he was doing. And the fact that, you know, they did it in the old days of the Big East when you had to beat Georgetown and Syracuse and Villanova and, you know, those guys. It it was amazing what he did. And the players that he brought in. We talk about, you know, Geno's great legacy. I mean, think about all the great players that have gone through with Jim. You know, it started, you know, with a 90 team with Tate George and 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 um, the Dove Hennefeld, guys like that. And then the 90s, you had Donnie Marshall, Donnie Marshall, Ray Allen. And then you get Rip and you get Ricky Moore. And then Khaled Amin had to be that glue to that 99 team. That 2014 that was building first Karan Butler was a big piece of the teams that didn't win. But you had a Mecca Okafor and Ben Gordon as freshmen on those teams. And in the 0-14, they were so deep. You had those two. You had Rashad Anderson, Charlie Villanueva, Josh Boone coming off the bench. And then, you know, that right team through was Kemba so Walker. <laughs> yeah, that 0-14 was really, really, really good. And, and once in a while, I'll go back and watch some of the old Big East games when, when they played Pittsburgh in the Big East championship game three times in 2002, three, and four. And those were just wars. But Emeka's probably my favorite all-time UConn men's player just because he was so dominant in the post. And my favorite two shooters are probably Rashad Anderson and Ben Gordon, just the way they elevate. They were so much fun to watch. Not that Kemba had and what Kemba did in 2011 and what Shabazz and those guys did in 14. And even this year's team was a lot of fun to watch. But Jim Calhoun was just a special man. And what he did, and he did it his way. And, yeah, um, super, super guy. And, and, you know, he did it at St. Joe's for a few year, few years and, you know, started a program there. And they're pretty darn good Division three school. So, well, but he is Jim, my idol. Thank but, you, Jim Calhoun, yeah. for everything you've done for Connecticut. Yeah, for Thank sure. you for coming on our podcast. Gave us 30 minutes. We were podcasting out of Joseph's bedroom, and um, it was fantastic. This is a heck of a bedroom. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, he didn't, he didn't come to the room, but he was doing it remote. Joseph and I were sitting on his bed and we talked about all the championships and just uh, that's how we ended up kind of going viral. Hit him with your final curveball. Stores, Connecticut. Farmland. If you want to come to Stores, Connecticut, you better have a good reason to come. I mean, as a player. You can be you, you know, well, hey, look, the facilities are amazing. Um, and Stores is a special place. I mean, it's not just the basketball programs. Field hockey's been good for years. Soccer used to be phenomenal here. I mean, I mean, you know, well before you were born, Joseph, you might remember this. 
I mean, back in the 80s, that was it. Joe Maroney was bringing eight, 9,000 a weekend to Maroney Stadium to watch them play soccer. And they've won a couple of national championships. The baseball team's always good. Softball's trying to get back to, you know, you know they're winning the Big East regular season. Now they got to get in the NCAA tournament, and they got to win the Big East tournament. Jim Penders, what he's done with baseball. I mean, think of all the guys that he's had in the major leagues. And they continue to get the postseason year in, year in, year in and year out. They're currently at the Big East tournament. They don't have to win the Big East tournament this year to get in. Um, their RPI is good enough. But it's just a special place. Cavs built a good program. Chris McKenzie with the women's hockey team, same thing. It, it's just a special place, but it's in the middle of, I don't want to say the middle of nowhere, but it's close. It takes some time to get there, it right, It takes Joseph? some time to get there, but your focus is on academics and athletics. And those are two obviously important things. Academics, obviously, first, but... They've done a nice job in building something special there. And hopefully football, knock on wood, gets back to some prominence. But it, it's 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 a special place. It really is. And the people make it happen. And look look who we've got there. You've you know, you've had you've talked about Jim. Gino obviously has been there forever. Jim Penders has been there forever. Cavs been there ten years now with hockey. Um you know, they've had some turnover with the soccer and field hockey programs. Nancy Stevens was there for a long, long time, but one of his assistants, or her assistants, took over a few years ago, and they're still quality. But people tend to stay around a long time. Look at Chris Daly. Yeah, look at CD. I mean, CD and Gino have been here from day one together. That's the common bond between those two, that between that program. Those are the two common themes to every year of all the success they've had. But it's a, it's a special place, and obviously with basketball, Game night's a little special at Gamble. That's for sure. Yep. The basketball capital of the world. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to the Sliders and Curveballs podcast. Joseph, I love you. Thank you for you. spending time with me. And Bob, we're lucky to have you. Joseph, remember, no breaking balls for a while. Don't oh, throw breaking balls. Spot that fastball and use the changeup. My friend there's a riser. Okay. Well, what about the slurve? That's well, kind of our nickname. He taught me a slurve. Well, I had a kid. Well, last night I did a game in Ellington. And I had a kid throwing curveballs. His name, his name was actually Mookie, after Mookie Betts. Cool. That was just cool. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of kids your age throwing curveballs. Now so hit curveballs, hit them deep, line drives. That's yeah. what we want. But spot your fastball up, down, in, out, <coughs> change speeds. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, thank you. We'll catch you next time, fans. Thank Go you. Go UConn.